Hello, we're Equinor. As a global energy leader, we're working hard to reduce methane emissions and our carbon footprint. Good morning from Des Moines, Iowa. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Friday, January 31st. In today's news, without the votes needed to call witnesses, Senate Republicans might acquit President Trump as early as tonight. But the president still faces several continuing investigations and lawsuits. And health officials confirm the first U.S. case of person-to-person transmission of the coronavirus. But first, the big idea. Four candidates were stuck in Washington for jury duty, embroiled in the impeachment trial of President Trump. Another, Joe Biden, delivered a speech that mentioned Trump an average of once every 17 seconds. Pete Buttigieg traveled to counties that Trump won in 2016, trying to showcase his ability to win over the president's supporters. But then last night, Trump himself arrived for a rally on the campus of Drake University. It got a much bigger crowd than any of the Democrats have been able to get so far this campaign. At a pivotal, potentially energizing moment for Democrats, preparing for the first votes of their long-awaited effort to unseat Trump, the candidates found themselves reacting to his massive shadow rather than setting their own course. The scrambling reflected a deeper truth just four days before the Iowa caucuses, which are Monday night. After four years of turmoil and anger, Democrats have yet to settle on the best path for defeating a president most of them consider the most dangerous and damaging in memory. With the senators detained by the trial, several are relying heavily on allies and surrogates to fill in. In the case of Elizabeth Warren, her dog, Bailey, was the headline attraction at an event in western Iowa. With Trump on everyone's mind, Biden's speech, delivered at an elementary school in Waukee, was a blunt attempt to convey the contrast between Trump's tenure and the dignified presidency Biden promises to embody. During his talk, lasting just under 19 minutes, Biden referred to Trump 64 times while ignoring all of his Democratic rivals. He also ignored Burisma and the matters that are being debated at the trial. Senator Bernie Sanders, after weeks of attacking Biden for being insufficiently supportive of Social Security, turned his own fire entirely on the president with a new closing television ad in Iowa that hits Trump and says he can defeat him. Buttigieg, the former mayor of South Bend, stressed his role as an outsider from Washington. It's part of an effort to distance himself from Trump as well as his Democratic rivals. In a significant shift, Buttigieg attacked Biden and Sanders by name yesterday, saying that they both represent political brands that Democrats must leave in the past. In Decorah, Buttigieg criticized Biden for saying this is no time to take a risk on someone new. Buttigieg said history has shown that the biggest risk Democrats could take is to look to the same old Washington playbook and recycle the same arguments and expect that to work against a president like Trump, who is new in every way. Then Buttigieg ripped into Sanders and said he would definitely lose in the general election. Mayor Pete's campaign has used Bernie's name repeatedly in fundraising emails over the last couple days, but the candidate himself had carefully avoided criticizing the Vermonter until yesterday. Throughout the campaign, in fact, and more noticeably during his Iowa push over the last few weeks, Buttigieg has avoided criticizing his opponents by name, even as they sometimes slid into high-profile squabbles around him. But yesterday, he decided to wear a full suit and tie instead of just a shirt and tie, and he made explicit references to his opponents instead of implications. 
Afterwards, he acknowledged that it's because time is running out to make his case. He's been fading in the polls. Biden shot back at Buttigieg later in the afternoon. Reporters were invited to watch the former vice president order food at a Dairy Queen. And while in line, Biden mocked Buttigieg for never winning more than 8,600 votes in an election. Biden also alluded to Sanders identifying as a Democratic Socialist, which some worry will cause major problems for the party down ticket if he's the nominee. Biden said, quote, I'm a Democrat. Bernie's not. The day also presented a jarring visual representation of the Democratic challenge that they'll face all year long. Trump drew a raucous crowd of supporters. It yielded a foretaste of the months to come when he just brutally attacked and ripped into the Democrats from Biden to Sanders. Democrats are going to have to vie for attention with a president who has proved uniquely adept at making himself the center of public attention and drama. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar this Friday. Number one, Senate Republicans are increasingly confident that they have the votes to block any new testimony at the president's trial, which they believe will allow them to bring a vote to acquit Trump as early as tonight. Susan Collins, the Republican of Maine, said she will break with leadership and vote to hear witnesses. But Lamar Alexander, the retiring Republican from Tennessee, announced around midnight that he is ready to end the trial, even though he found Trump's behavior inappropriate. And he says that the president's fate should be left in the hands of voters during the upcoming election. Along with Collins, Mitt Romney is still viewed as the likeliest Republican contender to side with Democrats to seek John Bolton's testimony, while Lisa Murkowski from Alaska could join as well. She said late last night that she's going to review her notes and reflect on the decision. It's unclear, though, if Murkowski and Romney join Collins, who would be the required fourth vote. One outside possibility is that the Senate will deadlock 50-50 on the question of calling witnesses. That would put Chief Justice John Roberts in the position of breaking a tie, a role Democrats are urging him to play. But there's little expectation that Roberts would weigh in on such a politically thorny question and instead would allow the tie to result in no witnesses being subpoenaed. In fact, Republicans express a high degree of confidence that he will not take any decisive action. In the 1999 impeachment trial of Bill Clinton, the Senate heard a combined five hours and 28 minutes of closing arguments. Then they entered four days of closed-door jury deliberations totaling about 26 hours before they ultimately voted to acquit Clinton on two articles of impeachment. In this case, though, Republicans want to skip the closing arguments and the deliberations and move ahead to the last step. That would leave Senate Democrats with few cards to play. They can't stop an acquittal vote, but they could delay it and force Republican senators to take some uncomfortable votes against hearing more evidence or allowing more debate. One idea proposed by Chris Van Hollen, a Democrat from Maryland, is a motion to require Roberts to issue a subpoena for additional documents and witnesses if he thinks they're relevant to the trial. That vote would probably fail, though. Even if Democrats force these extra votes, the final vote to acquit could come as early as Friday night or potentially tomorrow, unless leaders decide to kick it to Monday, just one day before Trump's State of the Union address. Yesterday was the last day of the question and answer phase of the trial. The day was mostly devoted to softballs lobbed by senators at their own side. In fact, at one point, a group of Republican senators literally asked Trump's lawyers to recount Trump's accomplishments while in office. Number two, Nancy Pelosi has stepped out of the impeachment spotlight after dominating so much of the early debate. Returning from a 10-day break in Poland yesterday, the Speaker of the House gave a news conference that only briefly touched on the trial. 
But her caucus has ambitious plans to continue its oversight and investigations into Trump even after the trial wraps up. And they got a small break in that regard last night when a federal judge said he's inclined to uphold House subpoenas for documents that are important to the ongoing probe of the administration's foiled plans to add a citizenship question to the 2020 census. Judge Randolph Moss said he will rule quickly after a three-hour hearing in D.C. in which he said courts shouldn't micromanage disputes between the other branches of government, but he rejected the White House's sweeping constitutional claim that Congress can never sue to enforce subpoenas and that it can indefinitely withhold communications between federal agency officials through a so-called protective assertion of executive privilege. Ironically, during this three-hour hearing, the Trump administration maintained in court that the only recourse for ignoring subpoenas is impeachment. And Trump still faces various civil suits. In one, E. Jean Carroll, the New York writer who last summer accused Trump of raping her during the 1990s, requested that he submit a DNA sample to determine whether his genetic material is on the black dress that she said she was wearing during the alleged assault. Carroll's lawyers served notice to a Trump attorney yesterday asking that the president provide a sample of his DNA for analysis and comparison against the unidentified male DNA on the dress. Carroll's lawyers requested that Trump provide the DNA by March 2nd. Trump has vehemently denied the allegations and called it fake news, asserting that he's never met this person in my life and that he didn't rape Carol because, this is a direct quote, she's not my type. The request for DNA comes after Carol sued Trump for defamation in New York State Court in November, arguing that he has smeared her and damaged her career by calling her a liar who made up all the allegations to sell books. Number three, health officials have confirmed the first U.S. case of person-to-person transmission of the coronavirus. It's in the Chicago suburbs. State and federal officials say the sixth infected person in the U.S. is married to the Chicago-area woman who contracted the virus when she traveled to Wuhan, China. The unidentified man who's in his 60s has been isolated in the same suburban hospital as his wife since Tuesday when he began exhibiting symptoms consistent with the early stages of the virus, including fever, coughing, and shortness of breath. The man and woman are both in stable condition at a hospital in Hoffman Estates. The health commissioner in Chicago says the man has been extremely helpful in sharing the details of his recent activities, and fortunately he has not taken the L train or attended any large gatherings recently. Federal officials are warning a jittery public, however, to expect additional cases and perhaps more person-to-person transmission in the states of this virus. Nonetheless, they say we should tell you that the overall risk to people in the United States is still considered quite low. They advise U.S. residents to take the kinds of precautions we'd normally take to guard against seasonal flu, including frequent hand washing and staying home when you're sick. The CDC says there's no need right now to wear face masks in the United States. Around the globe, however, and particularly in China, this respiratory illness is continuing on a widening, very destructive path. The virus has now killed 213 people, all of them in China, and infected more than 9,700 others. About 90 cases have now been recorded outside of China, including the first two in Italy, both Chinese tourists. Most airlines have now cut off or completely canceled all their flights to China, a nation of 1.4 billion people. In fact, yesterday afternoon, the union representing 15,000 American Airlines pilots sued American to halt the carrier's service to China, citing serious and in many ways still unknown health threats posed by the coronavirus. They say they don't want their pilots getting sick. 
And overnight, the U.S. State Department issued a level four do not travel advisory for all of China. That's the highest possible warning level. And that had previously only applied to the province where the outbreak began. Anxious to shield Communist Party leaders from blame and avoid a sort of Chernobyl moment, the Chinese regime has dismissed a top public health official over her handling of the crisis. And in Hong Kong, officials just announced in the last few hours that all schools will be fully closed until at least March. And that's The Daily 202 for Friday, January 31st. Thanks so much for listening. I'm James Holman. If you want to get more news about the impeachment process, you can subscribe to a podcast feed from The Washington Post with all our updates in one place, including the latest from The Daily 202's Big Idea, Can He Do That?, and Post Reports. Find it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts. 